Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Cameron. I'm on staff here at the church. Thanks guys. It's great to see you all. If you don't know me and we've never met, first of all, I would love to meet you. Uh, seriously, like I want to hear about what God is doing in your life. So if you see me here, out in the atrium, at Meyer, in the middle of the street, stop me, say hello, because I want to know who you are. Does that sound good? Good, <laughs> awesome. Uh, I help out here uh, also in uh, basically two areas. The first uh, ministry that I help out with is our Vineyard Fit Classes which stands for faith and training, like Pastor Kathy said. Um, they're basically Bible classes that we lead throughout the week from the church. Uh, so I help lead and teach those, develop those. And then I also help uh, lead our Vineyard Groups Ministry, which we have about 43 small groups that meet in people's homes. And I actually see some group leaders here, which is awesome right now. Um, and these are people that are... Uh, just trying to get to know Jesus better in community with one another. So I help out with those two areas. Um, What else about me? I like uh, long walks on the beach. And I'm Scottish, so that's that's a little bit about me. But as we we jump in uh, to the talk today, I I, uh, have a story. I was driving with my wife on vacation Here's a picture of my wife. She'll come up on the screen. Her name's Caitlin. I love her a lot. She's she's really awesome. Uh, And we were on vacation. We were driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. All right? Now, a little backstory about me. I was was born in Ohio. I was raised uh, there. And then I've been living in Indiana the past six years. So I am used to flat, straight roads. That's what I'm used to. The Pennsylvania Turnpike is the opposite of that. It's twisty, it's turny. There's cliff edges on one side, uh, cliff uh, faces on the other. And uh, to give you a little picture of how I was feeling driving at that time, here, here we go. This is, this is how, that was me. <laughs> Less hair back then. Uh, but uh, that's how I felt. Like seriously, I was driving 10 miles under the speed limit, super uncomfortable driving on the turnpike, and it was a three-lane highway. So I thought to myself, this is what I'll do. I'll stay in the middle lane so I have a buffer lane on each side of me. And without any warning, no signs whatsoever, the left lane ends. And so I become the left lane, going 10 miles under the speed limit. I'm like, I'm going to start slowing down traffic. I need to merge over, right? So I turn on my turn signal. I look over to the right lane, and there's like 50 cars of traffic, bumper to bumper. There was no way I was getting in. And so then I look in my rearview mirror to see if I'm actually slowing down traffic at this point, and I see barreling towards me, probably going 20 miles over the speed limit, this lifted black pickup truck that could probably eat my car. (laughs) And there's probably a 30-mile differential between us. Like, I'm going 10 under, he's going 20 over. And I'm like, he's going to hit me. There's no way. He was was showing no signs of slowing down. So I, I brace for impact, and at the last possible second, 
he slams on his brakes and starts riding my bumper. He was so angry, and he was so close. I kid you not, I could see his face. He was yelling. His face was red. I could see like a vein bulging on his neck. That's how ticked off he was that I was slowing him down. And so I couldn't get over in the right lane. I didn't want to drive any faster because I was freaked out, so I just sat there like this for what felt like an eternity but was probably 30 seconds until finally the middle lane opened up. He shot over into the middle lane, rolled down his windows, and started yelling and gesturing all over the place at me. And in that moment, I felt attacked. I felt unjustly attacked. There was nothing I could do, right? I didn't want to drive any faster because I was uncomfortable with the twists and the turns. I couldn't get over in the right lane. And so here's a question to be thinking about today. How do I respond when I'm under attack? It's on the screen. How do I respond when I'm under attack? Think about that. If you were in my situation on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, what would you have done? Would you have driven faster? Would you have been like me and just freeze? Would you brake check the guy? Would you have gestured back at him? What would you have done? Uh... The other week, the other day, I was talking to a friend about uh, weekend plans for a second, and uh, I have been known to zone out of conversations from time to time, and my friend evidently didn't think I was paying attention, because in the middle of his sentence, he stopped, and he went, hey, you paying attention to me? And I said, yes, I am, and then he looked at me and said, well, what did I say? And I repeated back to him exactly what he had said, but in that moment, I felt attacked because he didn't think I was paying attention to him. And those are lighter examples, but how many of you guys realize that being attacked can be something serious too? As a church, we support an organization in India called Christ for India. And uh, they plan planted thousands of churches, hundreds of pastors working for them, and just recently 10 of their pastors were thrown in prison, attacked, just for preaching the word of God. One of them was killed for preaching God's word. But that's, that's all the way over in India. What about an example from closer to home? I have a friend who works in the South Bend, Mishawaka area, right in town. And, and she was at her job and her co-workers were having a conversation. Uh, they included her, they invited her in the conversation. She didn't join on her own accord. And they were talking about abortion. And then they asked her her opinion, and she simply shared that she was pro-life, and she was labeled sexist, ostracized by her co-workers, and eventually quit simply for sharing her views. She was attacked for what she thought and what she believed. And we don't have to look far, right, to see people attacking each other. We turn on the news and we see the big talking heads screaming at each other about this policy or that policy, or we open up social media and we post something like about our cats, and we see Uncle Jim and and Aunt Susan screaming at each other in the comment section about who knows what. People are attacking each other left and right, But here's the deal. Jesus said that we would be attacked. 
In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You see, Jesus is pointing out that being attacked is part of life, especially part of the Christian life. Here's the deal. The world right now, it's anti-Jesus. It's anti-Bible. Are we willing, if we're followers of Jesus, are we willing to be attacked because of Jesus? The missionary Paul in the early church says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So again, here's the question to think about today. How do I respond when I'm under attack? And by the way, how we respond matters, right? I have responded poorly in my life to being attacked, and I've created messes. I have seen other people respond poorly to being attacked in their own life, and they have created huge messes. And so in this uh, summer, we're in a series called Audacity, Bold Acts of the Early Church. And if you want to turn in your Bible or open up in your phone, we'll be in Acts chapter 6 and 7 today. And we'll be looking at a servant in the local church named Stephen and how he responded to being unjustly attacked. A little bit of backstory before we dive in to the text. Stephen, he was an awesome guy. He was preaching. He was bringing people to Jesus. He was proclaiming God's word, performing miracles, doing a ton of awesome stuff for the early church, and the church was growing rapidly. It was great. But on the other side of things, there was this group of community leaders that as the church was growing and people were going to the church, they were losing power and authority. And they didn't like that. So they decided to falsely accuse and attack Stephen of breaking the law to the point where they actually brought false witnesses against him. And so we'll pick up in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue. Those are the community leaders. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So pause. Stephen's super wise, doing great stuff. And then he's... Uh, false accusations are brought against him, and Stephen responds in this huge long speech that we're not going to read right now, but you definitely should this week. And in this speech that Stephen gives, he does a couple of things. First, he addresses all of the accusations and attacks, and he says, I have not broken the law. Here is exactly what I have said. Nothing wrong. And then he goes into the entire history of these community leaders and he points out their story and where they're coming from. And at the very end of his speech, we're going to pick back up in chapter 7, verse 51. This is what Stephen ends his speech with to the community leaders. He says, you stiff-necked people, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, just for a second, think about that. 
He's calling them stiff-necked people. He's insulting them. Here is the Ryan Cameron paraphrase of this verse. He's saying, I know you guys think you're all that, but you're all a bunch of spiritual idiots that aren't listening to God. That's what he's saying. He's calling them names. And so this ticks them off. And then in chapter 7, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. So from this text, I see two ways Stephen responded when he was being attacked. And before I go any further, don't worry, this is not a talk on how to die. <laughs> but I do think there are some honorable ways in which Stephen act, and we can respond the next time we're being attacked. So be thinking of that. Be thinking of the next time your boss attacks you unjustly, or a family member, or a co-worker, or a classmate. Be thinking of those things. Hold those thoughts, and, and let's pray before I go any further. So, Father, we just, we just come before you right now, and we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill this place. Let us know that we're loved and we're yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two ways that I see Stephen responding when he's being attacked. The first is, Stephen's response includes some bold truth. If you're taking notes here at home, you should fill in the blank, bold truth. You see, in verse 51, Stephen shares a bold truth with the community leaders. He gets to the heart of the matter. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's what they needed to hear. That was the bold truth that he shared with them. Earlier in the book of Acts, we learned that not only did Stephen uh, spread the word about Jesus, he also made sure that the widows and the orphans had enough food to eat so they wouldn't starve. That was Stephen's nine to five. He talked about Jesus and he made sure the most vulnerable people in society didn't die. And the, those community leaders put an end to that because of jealousy and turning away from God. If they were listening to God, they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have stopped him. But they weren't, and so they did. And Stephen shared that bold truth with them. And when he did that, they responded by becoming stubborn, obstinate, and entrenched in their position. And sometimes when we share bold truth with people, that'll happen. They'll, they'll stake their claim in the ground and they won't budge. But that's not the only way people can respond. People can also, when we share bold truth with them, turn towards Jesus and become closer to God. A story that comes to my mind of a time where someone declared a bold truth to someone else and they turned to God is found in the Old Testament. Second uh, Samuel. There's a story of a king who messed up big time. He committed adultery, and then he tried to cover it up by killing the woman's husband. Huge, huge mess up. 
and he didn't repent of it at all. And so this messenger of God, his name's Nathan, was called by God to go and confront the king about his sin. Now, if you're Nathan, just for a second, think about from his perspective. You just learned that the king is a murderer, and God's telling you to go and confront the king about the sin. If I was Nathan, I would think I'm a dead man. But he goes before the king, and he says, you need to repent of what you did. And instead of the king acting like one of the community leaders over here, he actually says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, the messenger came, he delivered the message, and the guy, the king, moved closer to God. And those are the two ways people can respond, right? They can become stubborn or they can turn towards Christ. But as followers of Christ, if we claim to be followers of Christ, we are all called to share bold truth. Jesus says to all of his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. All of us are called to make disciples as followers of Jesus. Every single one of us, young, old, whatever. And when we're making disciples, it doesn't just mean talking about the great things and, and, and building people up. It also means sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly with the people we're discipling. One of the top five most spiritually developing moments in my own life was when one of my mentors said something to me that I really didn't want to hear. This memory seared into my mind. I was uh, studying uh, biblical studies at Grace College in Winona Lake. It's about an hour away from here. And I can vividly remember the day. It was a sunny day. The sun was shining. Wind was blowing. Uh, my mentor, John Sloat, and I were walking around Winona Lake in town. And I was telling him about how great my life was, how wonderful everything was. I just won an award for preaching. I started dating this girl named Caitlin, who is now my wife. I was getting good grades, making good friends. I was on top of the world, and John stopped in the middle of his tracks. He looked at me, and he said, Ryan, there's a lot of spiritual pride in your life. And if you want to love people well, you need to cut that out. That was hard for me to hear. That was tough for me to listen to, but it was a bold truth that I needed to hear because there was a lot of spiritual pride in my life. And I needed to love people better. And it changed me because he spoke bold truth to me. And so we're called to share bold truth with other people. And I would argue from the example of Stephen, especially when we're under attack. But let's bring this into the room. You might be asking, okay, I'm supposed to share bold truth with people, but how in the world do I practically do that? Well, here are, here are two tips that I have. The first, it's a fill in the blank. When we're trying to share bold truth with people, try and learn their story. Learn the person's story. With Stephen, right, he knew their story. He knew what they needed to hear. That, that long speech that we didn't read, he goes by detail and described those leaders' backgrounds. I have a, a friend who uses social media a little differently, differently than how Pastor Steve uses it. He's a, he is a pastor friend of mine, and he posts a lot of Christian stuff on his social media feed. 
and he gets a lot of negative comments because of it. And when he gets a negative comment from some random internet troll, instead of deleting the comment or blasting them in the comment section, like I see a lot of times happening, he privately reaches out to the individual and tries to meet them in person or set up a phone call so that they can, he can learn their story and share Jesus with them. And I asked him, I said, why in the world do you waste so much of your time on just random internet trolls? This is what he said to me. It was a couple years ago. And he said, it's hard to share Jesus with people when I don't know where they're coming from. And I thought that's so true. If I don't know people, how can I know how to love them well? You see that uh, story of John Sloat, my mentor, that, that said I had spiritual pride in my life. The reason I listened to him was because I had a previously established relationship with him. He had been meeting with me every single week for a better part of a year. And I knew when he said that to me, it came from a place of love. He loved me. He cared about me. He wanted to see me grow to become more like Christ. Because he knew my story, he was able to speak that truth to me. So that's the first tip. Here's the second tip when we're trying to share bold truth. We need to be relying on the Holy Spirit. That's the fill in the blank. Rely on the Holy Spirit. In the text, in verse 10, we're told that the leaders could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. You see, Stephen was able to share God's truth because he has God's Spirit inside him, and he listened to it. And Jesus points this out in Luke chapter 12. He says... When you're brought before the authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at this time what you should say. Now, if you're anything like me, this is great news. Like seriously, great news. It means that when I'm under attack, I don't need to have a PhD in biblical studies to know how to respond. I don't have to have a degree in Christian counseling or have formal training in conflict management resolution. Those things are all helpful and they're good, but foundationally, the most important thing that I need to do to know how to respond when I'm under attack, especially unjustly, is I need to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach me how to respond. Because that's what Jesus says will happen. There's a harder example for my own life be vulnerable for a second. As I was preparing for this talk, I experienced probably the, the four most stressful days of my life. There was a ton of stuff all happening at once. I don't know if you've been there, where it seems like everything, like a whole year's worth of stuff is happening in the course of a week, and that's where I was. Uh, and not all of it was bad, right? There was some good stuff. I was preparing for this talk, and that was awesome. I was getting ready to teach a class, which was great, but also my wife was experiencing a ton of stress because of an unforeseen job transition. And we were trying to figure out how to move and pack everything up into this pickup truck and move it across town. All in the course of four days. And this doesn't normally happen to me, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night, looking at my phone. It was 3 a.m. I was covered in sweat. And immediately, all of these thoughts just started swirling around in my brain. Because here's the deal. I wanted to be a good husband and figure out how to love my wife well and help her through this stress. I wanted 
to be able to figure out how we can move everything. I wanted to write a good message, teach a good class. I didn't know how to, though. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know how to be helpful. So I got out of bed. I went into my living room. I sat on my couch, and I looked out the window. And of course, it was pouring down rain, right? Just one of those nights. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, I need your help. I need you. I can't do this on my own. Teach me how to respond. And then a miracle happened. A peace that didn't make any sense came over me. I was able to get back to sleep. And the next day I woke up and things started to get easier. Guys, I was at rock bottom, but Jesus brought me out of that. I was under attack. It was spiritual attack, for sure. But Christ helped me through it. He showed me what I needed to do. I didn't just suddenly get smarter all of a sudden. It was God. And so that's the first point. Stephen's response included bold truth. Quickly, here is the second point. Stephen's response included radical forgiveness. Radical forgiveness. So in the text, in verse 60, as Stephen is being killed, he's literally being stoned, which means large boulders are being thrown at him until he dies. It's serious stuff. He cries out to God, and he says this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's being murdered unjustly, and he's asking for his murderers to be forgiven. And what this says to me is that Stephen took the actions of Jesus Christ very seriously. Because as Jesus was being murdered unjustly, this is what he said about his murderers. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, both Jesus and Stephen forgive the people attacking them, killing them unjustly, without reason. And then if you're anything like me, the question becomes, well, why? Why in the world do we do that? Why in the world should we extend forgiveness to people that are attacking us, especially if they have no reason to be attacking us? And here's the answer. I'll give you the answer and then I'll unpack it. But the reason we should forgive is because Jesus loves it when we forgive. That's the fill in the blank. Jesus loves it when we forgive. Now, let me unpack that for you. One of Jesus' most foundational teachings is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in the beginning of Matthew, starting in Matthew chapter 5. If you've never read it, you really should. It's the how-to of being a follower of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says about forgiveness. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. You see, forgiveness, it's a big deal to Jesus because we've all messed up. We have all done at least one thing in our life that we should not have done. Paul says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. (laughs) This is it, guys. Listen, seriously. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. That sin is not held to us anymore. And so we need to extend that forgiveness to other people. And in today's passage, Stephen realizes that he has God's love. He has Jesus' love and affection. 
In verse 55, it says, Stephen looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing, standing at the right hand of God. Now, it's a blink and you miss it moment, but I thought it was interesting that it says we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Because this is the only time in scripture I can think of where we hear Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. There's a lot of scripture talking about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God, but here Jesus is standing. And I'm a nerd, so I I wanted to figure out why in the world is Jesus standing. I looked up the original word in, in in, in the original Greek to stand, and it'll come up on the screen. It's pronounced histemi, and in Greek that means to stand. But another sense of the word is to uphold, to establish, or to approve of something. So the image we have here is Jesus giving Stephen a standing ovation because of his actions. The image that I got when I was preparing for this is like a really proud dad who goes and sees his little boy perform in like a third grade musical. And at the end of the musical, when the little boy comes out on stage and bows, the dad stands and hoops and hollers for his son. That's what Jesus is doing for Stephen because of his actions. And so I'll end with this question to bring it in this room. Who in your life do you need to extend radical forgiveness to? Or, put another way, is there someone in your life that if you forgave them, Jesus would stand? Think about that. Seriously, is there someone in your life right now that's attacking you, hurting you unjustly for no reason that if you forgave them, Jesus Christ would stand in applause for you? Who is that person? Because Jesus loves it when we forgive. So to wrap up, The two points, Stephen's response included some bold truth and radical forgiveness. Pastor Steve's going to come up and and do ministry time, but that's it for me. Thanks, guys. Love you. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.